Well, uh, you have good reason to be thankful for our guest preacher today, and I'm going to tell you why in a minute. Mike Howerton is the senior pastor at Overlake Christian Church in Redmond, Washington. He is also the author of a great book, which I have endorsed, uh, Glorious Mess, and he's going to be preaching from it today, and you can get a copy of this after the service in the lobby. But the reason that you should be thankful for Mike is because Mike is a very good friend of mine. Uh, my, I was at Mike's church last week preaching. Mike is here this week in our church. And at his church, I said the same thing. I said, sometimes when you're a pastor, people will ask you, who's your pastor, pastor? And that's kind of a short list for me, and Mike is one of those people. Mike encourages me. He inspires me. He points me to Jesus. He kind of keeps me glued together. If I have ever said anything helpful to you, there's a good chance I might have stolen it from Mike. So you have a really good reason to be grateful for this man because he is a pastor to your pastor. So would you please give a very warm welcome to Mike Howerton. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I, I have to tell you, uh, I, I love this church. I really do. I have visited this church several times, both online and in person. And uh, I, I love what you're doing in the community. I love what you're doing in the world. It's just so good to be just partner churches, sister churches. I don't even know how we talk about that, but I just, I love what God's doing. And, uh, and I do want to just echo what Scott said. I, I, um, I, 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 I love this guy. I mean, it's a total bromance kind of a thing going on. Uh, I, I have said this to many, many people. I want to say this to you. I think you have an absolutely world-class pastor. Can, can we take this moment and just thank him for what he brings? Such a stud. I, lo I love this guy. And it actually is a little bit curious to hear that I breathe life into him because he breathes life into me. I, I've said that Scott is like my own personal Yoda, that uh, in terms of mentorship and wisdom and uh, lightsaber skills, I, I think that, uh, you know, Scott just plays a really cool role in my life, and so I'm super thankful. Hey, I have to just tell you, at Overlay, guys, I, I never wear a suit. Never, like never. You have to die to get me in a suit at Overlake. And so I just want you to know that my dad bought me this suit last summer for my birthday, and this is the first time I'm wearing it. Yeah, for you. I know, it's a little crazy. You don't even care in this modern service. But I just want to tell you, because you have no idea, I look good today, all right? Uh, it, I'm pretty impressed, so at least if nothing else, just know I'm, I, I love how I look. Um, no, the, the, the truth is I'm preaching out of this book, Glorious Mess, only because it's a walkthrough of the book of Jonah in the scriptures. And as a pastor, I hear everywhere I go, pastor, I need more Jonah. I've got to have more Jonah. Uh, I've got a fever and there's only one cure, Jonah. Uh, not really, right? The book has been written off largely. In fact, if you Google Jonah, what you'll find are children's videos and Jonah Hill, the actor. Now, the reason why I chose Jonah is the same reason why the book is called Glorious Mess. It's because nobody's messier than Jonah. If you know the story in the Bible, he is a mess at the beginning. When he hears God's call, he runs from it. He dead ends in messiness. He obeys God for like 20 minutes, and then he's a mess at the end of the book. And yet God's glory shines brightly throughout. 
And I realized that, and suddenly I realized there's so much freedom in that reality. See, in Christendom, so often what we do is we coach our testimonies to sound like this. Once I was blind, and now I see. Once I was this, and now I'm this. Once I was bad, bad, baddie bad, and now I'm good, good, goody, good. But that's rather inauthentic, isn't it? Isn't it much more true to form to say, once I was a mess 57 ways, and then I met Jesus, and now I'm a mess 32 ways, but God's glory shines throughout. And uh, so I want you to understand the message of the book, the message we're going to be talking about, this idea of God's relentless grace for imperfect people. I just, by show of hands, how many of you would identify yourself, I'm an imperfect person? Anyone here? Okay, I've got a book for you. Um, So here's what I want to do. Two points in this sermon. It's really, really easy, really quick. The first point is simply that a glorious mess hears God call. A glorious mess hears God call. And God is calling. God called to Jonah. God calls to us in big ways, right? Lifestyle ways, big life direction ways, but also in small ways, in the day-to-day, in the moment by moment. I want to start with a story. When I was nine years old, my dad took me and my buddy Avery on a fishing excursion. So he got us down to the river. He got me all set up. I got the pole. I got the hook. He put the worm on the hook. And I rear back ready to cast because in my mind, the moment the hook hits the water, fish will strike, affording me a frontiersman-type glory and potentially my own television show. And so I rear back to cast, and the hook never clears my shoulder. So I I pull again, nothing doing. The third time I pull as hard as I can, still nothing. So I turn around to see what I'd caught. I had snagged my buddy Avery. My first cast, I nabbed a 60 pounder. And it went, the hook, right through the tip of his finger. So it surprised him so that every time I yanked, his finger just got thrust in the air. It looked like a little third grade preacher. Um, And uh, he didn't yell, I yelled. And, and I yell, my dad comes running with the pliers, he gets the hook out, he applies a band-aid, calming words, avoids litigation. And that ended our fishing trip that day. None of us had caught anything, but I had, at the age of nine, become a fisher of men, okay? <laughs> now I know, a dumb story, it's a goofy story, but I wonder how often God uses the stories of our life to communicate his message. Even the everyday stories, the story of I'm just going to work another day story, the story of I'm just standing in line at my favorite coffee shop story, the story of I'm just tucking my kids into bed one more night story. I wonder if the everyday moment by moment stories of our lives are the very stories that God uses to speak his calling. I wonder if God's call comes in the messy middle, in the everydayness, in the mundaneness of our lives, God's call for adventure comes. And so the book of Jonah starts, we read it earlier, Jonah 1.1, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Notice that God calls Nineveh great. He says, yeah, it's evil, but I think it's great. It has great potential, filled with great people. I want it to be great. No, Jonah, go there so it can be great. Now, many of you know the story. Jonah doesn't like God's call. But there are many good examples of servant-hearted people who hear God's call and respond. 
I would bet in a room this size, many of you are already that kind of person. You know that you're ready to hear God's call and do whatever he calls you to. And if you're not that kind of person, I bet you know that person. They're the persons with the best stories to share. You know, it was the other night, it was like midnight, and I just felt God prompting me, go down to McDonald's and ask the guy behind the counter if he'd given up on his dreams. So I did. I said, hey, have you given up on your dreams? He said, I have, and he starts crying. I lead him to Jesus on the spot. I get him off drugs, get him into college. He becomes the prime minister of Luxembourg. He invented the cheese tax, most important legislation on the planet. You know, like uh, those kind of stories. And if you've heard them, and if you haven't, just pretend you have. And I just want you to understand that some of us are sitting on the sidelines saying, I wish God would call me like that. The premise is he is. He is. He loves you. He knows you. His call on your life is for your best and his glory. It's for the kingdom to roll forward powerfully. I tend to need God to hit me on the head or at least call me on the telephone. Several years ago, we had this thing called the pastoral care phone. And what it was was a phone that we would assign to different pastors on our team so that anytime, night or day, 24-7, if somebody in the community had a need, they could get a live pastor on the phone. And so it was my night to have this phone, and I get a phone call about 3 o'clock in the morning. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not feeling very pastoral at 3 a.m., I'm barely a Christian before my second cup of coffee. So 3 a.m. is a stretch. And, and so I, 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 you know, tentatively I answer the phone. I start asking some questions. And it's a, it's a woman who is describing to me this scenario. Her ex-husband is in a coma at the hospital. And the doctors don't think he has very long to live. Could I come down and preach Jesus to him? Because she doesn't know if he's ever accepted Christ into his life. And as reluctant as I was, somehow I sensed that God was in this. And so I said, sure. And so I I put my clothes on, went down to the hospital, and it was just as she said. There he was, comatose, everything, uh, wires and machines all hooked up to him. And I opened my scriptures, and I read a few verses, and I began to preach Jesus to him. I just talked to him about how God has made him in glory, and yet he, like all the rest of us, have turned our backs on God. We've rebelled against him. I talked about how it's not the good work that he could do, but rather it's the good work that Christ has done on the cross that removes all of our, our sin and our shame and our guilt. And, and, and the entire time I'm preaching to this guy, he is absolutely comatose. It felt just like youth ministry to me. And, and so... I, I finish my, my little spiel and, and I say, now, I'm going to grab your hand and I'm going to pray. And if you want to receive Christ into your life, I said, you can respond however you want to. You can squeeze my hand or you can nod your head or blink your eyes or even in the stillness of your own heart, you can receive Christ right now. And instantly, friends, my hand was in a vice grip. And there were tears coming down his eyes as he blinked and moaned, yes, yes, nodding his head. It was the most humble response to a gospel message I've ever seen in my life. And so we prayed together, and then after that prayer, I assured him, you can be sure that every sin that you've ever committed is gone absolutely removed as far as the east is from the west. And when your time on earth is done, and I don't know when that will be, you can be assured that you'll be met with the open arms of Jesus Christ. 
Meanwhile, his ex-wife is jumping up and down in the corner. She's laughing and she's praying and she's crying and she's singing. It was a little creepy to me. <laughs> and so I, you know, I said, thank you for calling. I'm going to head home now, but please give me another call. Let me know how things turn out. About 30 minutes later, I'm climbing back into bed and I get a phone call from her. And she says, Pastor, I want to thank you for coming down to the hospital. Thank you for leading my husband to Christ. I want, or my ex-husband, I want you to know that he just passed away into a joy-filled eternity. And friends, I was this close to missing it. I was this close to just praying with her on the phone and hanging out. Right? We so easily can miss out. See, some of us right now are saying, I wonder if God would call me on an adventure. I wonder if my faith could be more than just boring, more than just morality, you know, policing. I wonder if there really is that dynamic, questing, adventurous faith that God has for me. I'm contending, yes. He does have a call on your life. Big picture call, but also day by day, hour by hour. Even standing in line at the coffee shop can be adventure if we allow him to speak, if we're available to respond to his call. And I want to tell you, this requires a stance, a posture before the Lord. At Overlake, we call this preemptive obedience. Preemptive obedience stands before God, meaning whatever he calls, we're already ready to say yes to. We're already obedient in our hearts. I want to give you a warning, though, and the warning is this. The term, no Lord, is a contradiction in terms. You can't say no if he's Lord. You can't say Lord if you say no. And the scripture is actually filled with story after story of those heroes of our faith who were preemptively obedient, who said yes right away to the call of God on their lives. Let's take a look at Isaiah, for example. Isaiah 6, 8 says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. Notice that Isaiah's response was simple and it was immediate. Here I am, send me. He was willing. Whatever God called him to do, he was certain that was the very best thing for him to do. So he was ready to go. Notice what he did not say. He did not ask, Lord, will this be convenient for me? Will this call come with medical and dental benefits? Can you guarantee my safety? Is there a training course? What are the girls there like? What if there's not an espresso stand? Should I bring a coffee maker just in case? Will it be in Europe? Should I bring an adapter? Right? He just said yes. He was ready. He was preemptively ready to be obedient to the call of God on his life. Now let's make this personal. What about you? Are you ready? Are you listening? Are you open to the fact that the Lord of the universe really is calling you to join him on an adventure of faith for his glory and for your best? Are you willing? I've been in ministry, this is my 21st year of ministry, and over that time I have heard all kinds of different excuses, things that we come up with in order to put ourselves, off, you know, get off the hook for God's call. I want you to know that I have heard these, but I've also used a few of them myself. Let's see if they're familiar to you. The first excuse is I'm too young, right? Real simple, I'm too young. You know, I'll jump in and follow God's plan for my life when I get out of my prolonged adolescent phase, right? And I just want you to understand, the Bible makes it clear that God is not concerned with how old you are. 
The Bible is very clear, like we read in Jeremiah, that he will supply you with everything you need when you're willing to follow him right now in spite of resources you may or may not have or skills that you may or may not have. The scripture are filled with stories of how God calls and utilizes children for his glory, for his kingdom. It was a young boy who offered his sack lunch to Jesus. Jesus took it and fed the multitudes with it with leftovers. David was a teenager when he took the battlefield and defeated the giant Goliath. Joan of Arc was in her teens when she heard God's call and she routed the English out of France. Thomas Jefferson was in elementary school when he penned the Declaration of Independence. That's not true. No, it would have been a great point. It's not true. The point is, I want you to understand that some of you here are young. You are a young parent, or you're a young leader, or you're still in school, or you're interning, or or you're a young businessman, or maybe you're a young couple in ministry, and you're wondering, does God's call even come to me? And the answer is yes. The scripture says, don't look, let anyone look down on you because you're young. But instead, listen to the Lord, respond to his call today. Now, the next excuse is on the polar opposite end of the spectrum. It's, I'm too old, right? I'm too old. I used to be a weapon in God's arsenal, but now I'm tired, and I'm uncool, and I don't watch Glee, and I don't own skinny jeans, and besides, what could I do? And when I hear this, uh, you know, excuse, basically, I go nuts, Because the wisest, kindest, smiliest, huggiest servants of God in the kingdom are those that are in what I call the wisdom years of life. They're the ones that have all of this life experience. They're the ones that can pour in easily. I just want you to understand that that this is such a level of respect in my world. I love those who are in this phase of life ready to listen and respond to God's call. There's a dear saint in my church named Mel. And Mel is like a spiritual dad to me. Every single week that I'm praying, or that I'm preaching rather at Overlake, Mel lays hands on me and prays for me. He just speaks life into me and wisdom into me. Now, I don't know how old Mel is, but the movie Jurassic Park brought back memories for him, okay? He has an autographed Bible, all right? Uh, He remembers when rainbows only came in black and white. No? All right. I'll work on that bit. The point is that there is no expiration date in the kingdom of God. Many of us know the story of Daniel thrown in the lion's den. He was thrown in the lion's den because he refused to bow the knee to a godless regime. He came out of that experience victorious and glorifying God and given a place of great prominence and influence. But what most of us don't realize is that Daniel was in his 80s when that experience happened to him. I want you to understand because some of you are in this season of life. Maybe you're at the sort of the other end of your business career. Or the kids are already out of the house and even maybe grandkids and you're just wondering, what is it that I can do? Or, Or maybe in ministry, you've been serving for a long time. I just want you to understand that God is calling you now to be powerful for his kingdom. And there are other excuses as well. Excuses like, 
I'm too busy, right? That hits all of us, no matter what the socioeconomic factors are. Uh, I'm too comfortable. We don't actually say that. At the root of these excuses is just, I'm afraid. I'm, I'm too afraid. I'm afraid of what the implications might be if I totally jump in. I'm afraid that God's call will disrupt the plans that I have for my own life. And if that's you, I just want to say lovingly, (laughs) no kidding. His agenda is different than your agenda. He sees more than you see. He will call you into something that is good for your life, but probably totally different than what you want to call yourself into. I just want you to understand, I'm from Southern California. I love to serve. If, if I was charting the course for my life, my agenda would put me in a sunny, all year, warm water, white sand beach where I could put up a shack and, and sing praise songs to Jesus. Like that would be my ministry right there. That's my agenda. And instead, God has called me to live here. <laughs> It's like living in the grocery store in the produce section under the lettuce mister, right? (laughs) What are you doing to me, God? I found this quote. It's not from the Bible. It's, It's this. For I know the plans I have for me, declares myself. Plans that are mostly petty, entertainment focused, and primarily self concerned. That's how we chart the course for our own life. And instead, what God says is, no, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. And they're for good. And they're for hope. And they're for my kingdom purpose. God will call us into our best and his glory. He will call us to give away things, to to give up things, to lay down things, but only to set us free for our very best. People, some of us are afraid that God will call us to sacrifice our best for something else. He'll never do that. No, he will call you to sacrifice your mediocrity. He'll call call you to sacrifice your half-heartedness. He'll call you to sacrifice your wishy-washiness, your waywardness, all of the things that bring you indecision, that bring you pain, ultimately that are a part of the world's culture and the world's message. He'll call you to lay those things down, yes, but so that you can step into the fullest, richest, most abundant life there possibly is, not only in this lifetime, but for eternity. And so I just want you to say two points in the scripture. The first is a glorious mess, here's God's call. The second point is a glorious mess, here's God's call, and submits, and submits. So Jonah heard God's call, and then Jonah runs. But the scripture talks about Isaiah and Jeremiah, talks about Samuel, talks about Mary, talks about Paul, talks about Jesus. They're the heroes of our faith. Why? Because they hear God's call and submit to it. See, our heart's deep longing is that we would be a part of their company. But so often, instead, we're a part of Jonah's. And so right now, what I want to do is I want to lead you in a prayer that you would pray, that that God would give you the courage, that, that the Spirit of God would actually embolden your heart so that when you hear God's call, you're preemptively obedient to say yes. You're ready to go, okay? Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes and let's pray together. Jesus, we need you to actively seek your presence. We need you to actively listen for your call. We need you, Lord, because on our own, we are afraid and we're busy and we're comfortable. 
on our own, there are a whole list of reasons why we disqualify ourselves from your call. And so we need you to speak your life-giving truth that you love us, that you know us perfectly, that you've placed us where we are with whom you've placed us for your reasons. And Jesus, we want to be preemptively obedient to hear your call. Teach us to pray the same prayer you prayed in the garden, the prayer of, Father, not my will, but yours. We pray that now to you, Jesus, not our will, but yours. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.